Today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 11. We're continuing our series through the book of Revelation. Uh, it's probably going to feel a little bit more like Bible study and less like a formal sermon uh, just because the room is empty tonight. And um, when COVID hit, we even had some cardboard cutouts in the room uh, to, to preach to, and they're not even with us tonight. So um, we'll make the most of it. We're going to look together at Revelation 11 and at a part of biblical teaching that we may not like. Um, it speaks to a deep desire, a desire that's stirred up sometimes when you're driving and uh, somebody does something very selfish, uh, something that makes you or others around you unsafe, the way they've chosen to drive in the moment, maybe just to get to the front of the line or, or make it through that last light so they aren't 30 seconds later getting to the next thing. You know that feeling you have in that moment when somebody puts you and other people at risk uh, from a selfish motivation. There's this sense we all have that we don't want them to get away with it. Now, I don't want everybody come down on me when I'm the one making that driving move, but there is a deep sense we all have that we want justice. We want some kind of accountability in our world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus promises that. The way he makes those promises through this book is, is using visions and symbols. And uh, we've been working our way through the symbol of a scroll that has God's plan for all the universe forever written on it. One symbol is seals, shutting that scroll up. And Jesus has been breaking those seals. And as the seals are broken... Trumpets are given out to angels to announce big important news is on the way. And uh, today in chapter 11, we arrive at the sounding of the, the seventh, the last trumpet. And we'll pick up here um, with more promises of what God has planned for the future and the universe. Just a short few-verse summary of where God's plan is headed for all the universe forever. And in chapters 15 through 22 of Revelation, over the next several weeks, we're going to hear this short summary unpacked in great detail. Uh, so if there's something you're wondering more about and you're like, I wish we had more time to explore that, oh, we will. Um, and uh, But tonight we're going to hear just the summary. We're going to focus on one aspect of what this text has to say to us. So, the seventh trumpet is going to sound, and this vision is going to fast-forward us to a time in the future when Christ has returned. Now, how do we know that? We know it because we're going to read a description of God as the God who is and who was. Now, every time that phrase has been used up to this point in Revelation— the God who is and who was is also said to be the God who is coming, the one who is to come. And by the time we fast forward to this vision, the one who is coming has already come. So this is a short description of what will it be like once Jesus has returned. What will happen then? God will finalize his rule. Some people will rage against his rule and they will be punished. And that's the part of this 
biblical teaching that we may not like. And some people will rejoice in his rule and will be delivered from punishment to reward. Well, let's read from Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Let's stop and pray for just a minute. Lord, help us to understand, not just intellectually, the words of the scriptures, but to understand them as an invitation to know you more deeply, to know truth not only about you, but truth from you. The reason we know these things, the reason we have these very words in Scripture is because you are a God who, you, you, you do what we were singing about earlier. You speak, O oh Lord. You speak language that human beings can understand, language that can be written down and translated so that we can hear the Scriptures in our own language even now. Help us to understand all that you have to say to us today, the parts that we love and the parts that we may not be comfortable with at first. Help us to listen to you and be our teacher. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there are parts of this scripture text that we may not like when we first hear them. Right? And in that sense, this text exposes a problem. So we read this, these verses of Scripture and we hear not only that the, the Lord God and His Christ will have a kingdom that endures forever and ever. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. We hear that and then we hear that God's wrath has come, according to verse 18. A time for human beings to be judged, according to verse 18. And the end of verse 18 even mentions the fact that God will destroy the destroyers of the earth. We may not like that. When we hear this description of wrath, we may think, you know what? That doesn't sound like the God I want to know. Um, we hear about a God who judges people we might not like it we might think um, who are we to say that other, other people will be judged I thought Jesus wasn't really judgy we might ask ourselves is it fair to impo impose the religious perspectives of our Bible as Christians on other people 
Is it fair for us to read the Bible and conclude that every human being is going to one day face God's judgment? We might read these things and we might think, I don't really like it. At the same time, all of us do really want to live in a world where there's some accountability. We really want a kind of justice that holds people accountable. Let me give you two examples right quick that would just prove that. Um, I was listening to an interview the other day uh, with a journalist. He's been reporting on work done by these kind of amateur online investigators who are tracking down people who entered the Capitol building last January and entered the Senate chamber, um, both of which are a crime, and, um, and sensing that our legal system, our law enforcement uh, personnel are overwhelmed and may not be able to track down all these uh, folks. And so these amateurs are jumping in and saying, we'll do it ourselves. Now, why do human beings do that? <laughs> Well, there's this sense of if you injure or threaten other people, you should answer for it. Or if you commit a crime against the rule of law, a a crime against the sovereignty of the nation of which you're a citizen. Or some people might even say, you know, a crime against the institutions of democracy itself, and you're not even willing to face up to it, you should be punished to the full extent of the law. I'm not saying that. That's what we say, right? This is how human beings are. Um, Another example. This past week in Germany, there was a trial. Um, A Syrian intelligence officer was convicted of crimes against humanity, including murder and torture and all kinds of sexual assault. This is human beings saying, we don't want to live in a world where people can commit crimes against humanity and get away with it. We want there to be some level of accountability and justice. You can't treat other people as you please and get away with it, especially if, as in the case of this Syrian intelligence officer, if you keep denying that you're guilty... (laughs) If you keep saying you're more the victim than the criminal, you've got to answer for that. So you see that we're kind of stuck, right? We want this kind of justice, this kind of accountability, this kind of judgment. But we're not quite sure we want to trust God to do it. And we're certain that we can't trust every human being to do it, right? Because if we could trust every human being to make good moral choices and judgments, then we wouldn't have to have amateur internet sleuths tracking people down. And we wouldn't have to have government and military officials on trial. So we're stuck. We're not sure that we can trust each other to do this kind of judgment, this kind of moral assessment. And we're not always sure that we want to trust God to do it either. Well, let's get unstuck. Let's listen to what God has to say. Let's outline a few basic principles of God's judgment and justice that are taught in Scripture. Now, I want to do that by appealing to um, an interesting
um, principle of, of interpreting the Bible. So uh, in the spirit of doing a bit more Bible study than formal sermon tonight, one of the key principles of interpreting the Bible is interpret the less clear in light of the more clear. If you find a part of the Bible that's harder for you to understand and there's something similar to it that's easier to understand, then let the easier to understand parts shed more light on the hard to understand parts. And because Revelation is full of so much symbolic language and because it borrows so much on the Old Testament and we may not I have time to track down all those Old Testament references. For example, um, verse 18 says, The nations raged against the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's quoting from Psalm 2. Um, and when uh, we read our call to worship from Psalm 115, which refers to uh, those who fear God's name, both small and great. And this reference to destroying the destroyers of the earth is lifted straight from Jeremiah chapter 51, where God says to the, the, the cruel and arrogant empire of Babylon, uh, I am against you, and I will hold you accountable for the way that you have mistreated people. And he uses this language of, you, you have been a destroyer of the earth. So if you don't know all of that, it may be harder to make sense of this part of the book of Revelation might be easier for us to make sense of some of Jesus' words from Luke chapter 13. So we're going to interpret the less clear, the, the part of the Bible we're less familiar with, Revelation 11, in light of what's more clear, um, words from Jesus in Luke chapter 13. So don't think that the snow has somehow affected my brain and, um, you know, I forgot that we're in Revelation and we're going to look at Luke 13. Uh, it's, it's by design. So Let's get unstuck, right? We know we can't trust human beings to make the right kind of moral judgments that, that would lead to ultimate justice and accountability. But we're not always sure we can trust God because sometimes we get nervous when His Word talks about wrath and judgment. Let's get unstuck by listening to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 13. Three basic principles about God's judgment and justice. Here's number one. God's forever and ever reign. He shall reign forever and ever, Revelation 11 tells us. That forever and ever kingdom will include a day of final moral reckoning when human beings have to answer to him for what we have done in this life. Jesus taught that. Luke chapter 13, if you have a Bible can open to Luke 13, we're just going to kind of skip around. There are a lot of comments on, on final judgment in this chapter, which is why it's a handy guide for us. Jesus says this, somebody asks him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will, will those who endure this final reckoning be many or few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, But we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, 
I do not where you know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Those are the words of Jesus. There will be a day of final moral reckoning. There will be a day when the master shuts the door. Um, and God is not obligated, Jesus says, to conduct that final reckoning according to our standards or our preferences. Right? But Lord, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We, we, we should get an easy pass. No, the master says. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Well, the sense we have that um, maybe we ought to get a pass, that you know, my selfishness behind the wheel is not as bad as your selfishness behind the wheel. Um, the root sin there is autonomy. It's, it's the sense that I govern my own life. I am a law unto myself. I get to choose the principles, the values, the rules that I'll be governed by. I get to choose when they apply to me and when they don't. I get to choose when I get a free pass. I get to choose when those laws apply to other people in a way they don't apply to me. Um, I get to choose whether I will be honest about my failure to keep my own laws, the very laws that I've chosen for myself. And if I am honest about the failure, I get to choose what I will do to make up for it. I'll do better in the future, maybe. Or I will not be as bad as that kind of person over there. Or I will do more good things than bad things, and it will all work out in the end. Jesus says we aren't a law unto ourselves. Jesus says we all live under one law, and it has two great commandments, according to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the God who made you with your whole being forever. And love your neighbor as yourself. Autonomy says, hey, the two laws really are. I get to pick which laws, and I get to pick whether I have to answer for breaking them or not. God's kingdom, his forever and ever reign, will include a day of final judgment, final moral reckoning, answering for the things that we have done. Notice what Jesus says in verse 27 of Luke 13. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. It says that the basis for final judgment isn't God's whim. It's, it's observing what we've actually done. Um, and only if we were the kind of people who could say, you know what? I haven't ever done evil things. I haven't ever failed to love God with all my heart. I haven't ever failed to love my neighbor. Only then could we say that he's being unfair. Okay, second principle Jesus will introduce us to. The time to prepare for God's forever and ever reign. Remember, Revelation 11 says, He will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world is one day going to become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, his anointed ruler. And he will reign forever and ever. And the time to prepare to be part of that forever and ever reign is now. 
Luke chapter 16 talks about this. Luke chapter 16, verse 31, uh, Jesus has been telling a parable, and he concludes it this way. A, a character in the parable says, If those who are living do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. Um, the point is, now's the time to listen to what God has said in the Scriptures. Don't, don't ask for the miraculous, the spectacular, the can I, can I get a special opportunity after death to hear this message. Jesus speaks to the same reality back in Luke chapter 13. Much shorter um, parable this time. It's a parable about a fig tree that's not growing any fruit. Verse 6 of Luke chapter 13. Man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it, and he didn't find any. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I don't find any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Again, there will be a day of final reckoning when the, the trees that haven't been bearing the kind of fruit that God is looking for will be cut down. And Jesus goes on to, to say uh, later in, in this, well, earlier in the same chapter, he's been talking about the same reality. There are people who have come to him and said, hey, we heard some people down in, in uh, Jerusalem died, and we think it's because they were terrible people. They were really bad sinners, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, I'm telling you the truth. Unless you repent, you will all perish. So the idea is that one day, God is going to look for fruit on the trees. And one day, there won't be opportunity to repent anymore. And Jesus says, everybody needs to repent, and now is the time to do it. Repentance, according to Jesus, doesn't mean groveling. It doesn't mean getting God's attention by proving that you're good at making yourself feel bad. Repentance means, let's go back to that sense of autonomy. Be honest about your track record of living like a person who is a law unto him or herself. Be honest that there are times when you have looked down and said, God, I don't think you're doing it right. God, I don't think your idea of justice is, is fair. God, I don't like your laws. I think you're kind of nitpicky. Or God, I think you're too loose. I think you let too many awful people into your kingdom. And if I were running things, we'd run a tighter ship. Be honest that you have sat in judgment over God's laws. Be honest that you tend to only keep those laws, values, principles that pass your standard? Just be honest. And be honest that living that way has cost other people. They've had to live with the consequences of my selfishness and yours. Be honest that this kind of living as a law unto self is a crime against divinity. If it's possible to commit crimes against humanity... It's also possible to commit crimes against the majesty of who God is. 
you think it's bad to violate the institutions of democracy and that those who do so ought to be called to account? Well, guess what? When you violate the institutions of creative fatherly love and of redemptive fatherly love, you have to answer for that too. Not because I said so. Not because I like it. Not because you like it. But because Jesus says so. And earlier we sang, praying, speak, O Lord, and help us to embrace your truth. All of this is what it means to repent. Be honest about our track record of living like a law unto ourselves, whether that has taken the shape of you know, this kind of radically immoral lifestyle because we've rejected every effort of anybody to curb any of our behaviors and thoughts and words. Or Jesus says, this kind of living unto self could, could look very respectable and moral, right? But we can't change ourselves. We need Jesus to rescue us. Every human being needs to repent now in this life. God's forever and ever reign is going to include a day of final moral reckoning. And the time to prepare for that is now. Okay, last. We want to understand more about God's judgment and justice. We have to understand, according to Jesus, that God extends a gracious invitation to be part of his forever and ever reign. Right? He throws open the doors and says, anybody who will repent can come to me now. We go back to what Jesus said about that fig tree in Luke chapter 13, verse 7. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? But the gardener who tends the the vineyard, the the orchard where the tree is planted, says in verse 8, Sir, let it alone this year. Let me dig around it and put some manure on it so it will grow and bear some fruit. And then if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And Jesus said, that's what God's kingdom is like. That, that yes, a day of judgment and moral reckoning is coming. But guess what? God in his grace is telling us that in advance and giving us an opportunity to repent now so that we can endure that great day of reckoning not because we bring with us you know kind of our our proof of how good we are but because we repent we stand honestly before him and say lord if you judge me by the laws that i myself have embraced i i have even failed to keep my own values let alone yours my only hope is that you would rescue me through the work of your son Listen to what else Jesus says about that. So earlier we read from Luke chapter 13, Jesus talking about a narrow door. Many will seek to enter and will not be able, he said. And he says, you know, some people are going to knock on the door and say, hey, Lord, we know you. We're like this because we we ate and drank around you and, and you were right there in our towns teaching. And and Jesus said, I will say to them, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. But Jesus goes on to say more than that. 
He says that while some will be cast out, others will come in. Verse 29. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. God's invitation is gracious. He invites people from the whole globe, east and west, north and south, to come. And if they will simply say, you know what? I don't deserve a place at your table. But I believe that through Jesus you have made a place for me in your family. Can I come in because of who Jesus is? He will say, come. He will say, sit, eat forever. And again, he, he will do that in, in a gracious way that his judgment will be simultaneously more just and more gracious than we could imagine. So the first, the people who have relied on their own strength and wisdom, who have lived kind of the autonomous life, always being first even over God's law. Well, God, I'll do what you say if I approve of it first. I'm first in my kingdom and you're second. Well, the first will be last, Jesus says. But the last will be first. And that keeps us from getting arrogant as followers of Jesus. We can't ever write anybody off and say, oh, that person's so far from God, they'll never be part of his kingdom. Jesus says, you know what? Some who are last will be first. And we don't get presumptuous saying, you know what? I've been a good Christian for a long time. I deserve to be first in line because I've done a lot of good stuff. And, uh, you know, I ate and drank in the presence of Jesus. And he taught right there in my street. Jesus says, you got to come through the narrow door. The narrow door involves repentance, putting down love of self, autonomy, and coming to God through Jesus and what he has done. So earlier when we were singing, um, I was getting ready to, to teach these things and singing, Lord, I need you. I need you because tonight i got to talk about something that isn't very popular in our world. Revelation chapter 11 talks about God's wrath. It talks about judging the dead. And it talks about some people being destroyed by God's judgment. Those are not things that are pleasant to think about. They're not things that would um, make other people think highly of the Christian faith in our world. So speak, O Lord, and help us to believe all that you are saying in your word. Well, if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, then it's probably hard for you to hear verse 15 of Revelation chapter 11 without thinking of the Hallelujah Chorus, right? The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. I won't try to sing it. I can't do it justice. But if you've heard it, you know it. 
It may not be your style of music. You may listen to Handel's Messiah and go, eh, it's kind of not my thing. I'm kind of more familiar with Eastern music than Western music, or I kind of like more contemporary stuff and less classical stuff. But I doubt you would ever hear Handel's Messiah and Hallelujah Chorus and say, sounds like those people are singing about bad news. They sound sad. Even somebody who doesn't know anything about Western music, somebody who hates classical music, could hear that song and go, they are happy people singing about good news. Why? Well, who reigns forever and ever? If the kingdom of this world is one day going to become the kingdom of a tyrant who can't be trusted, the kingdom of a tyrant whose moral just judgment is worse than mine, then knowing that that person would reign forever and ever would be the worst news possible. But the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of the God who gave his son Jesus to rescue us from our own failures, <laughs> to rescue us from all the selfish and wicked things that we have done in our lifetimes. That is the God who sits on the throne. The God who will judge every human being who's ever lived is more just than I am. He's more merciful and gracious and kind than I am. He is more trustworthy than I am. So I can rejoice that He is the God who will reign forever and ever. Where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us here. Everybody wants justice. Everybody wants accountability. Some of us want it on our own terms. Some of us want it on God's terms. We've always got to be repenting and seeking for everything we long for to be met on God's terms and not our own. Now is the time to repent and to ask God to reshape our vision of life and of himself and of his son according to his wisdom and not ours. Let's take a minute and pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for teaching us things that you wanted us to hear, even if we might not have chosen to hear them. Thank you for speaking openly and honestly in your word. Thank you for the plainer parts of the scriptures that are easier to understand. Thank you for the parables that take a little more creativity. Thank you for the visions and the poetry and the songs and all of it. Teach us. May we take refuge in you, we pray in your name. Amen.